From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter. I teach linguistics at Columbia University. And not long ago, I was at the Brooklyn Museum. One does that sometimes. And one of the exhibits was something called The Dinner Party. It had nothing to do with Dinner at Eight, The Dinner Party by Judy Chicago. And it's from the 70s. And there were these plates. But more to the point, I was looking at some of the text on the wall, and it involved that wonderful term herstory in place of history, the idea being that it's women's story as opposed to men's story. And that's perfectly reasonable and understandable. But for some reason, seeing that word got me thinking, yes, you can see how I get inspired for topics for this podcast. This was quite typical. I was thinking, you know, terms referring to women often have interesting histories and origins. And I think most of us know that the fact that history looks like his story is an accident. But there are other terms for women where there are all sorts of weird assumptions that have been built into how the word has changed over time. And there are just various lessons that you can learn. And of course, I think really we should begin with the word woman. What you're listening to underneath is, of course, Aretha singing You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. And, you know, you hear that song so much you can forget how good it is. Imagine if you're a composer, even just kind of a dorm lounge composer, you write little ditties and you write the first part. So, woman. Now, what would you write for the bridge? Think about how incredible that bridge is in that song. In any case, woman. Now, you see woman and nowadays sometimes you see it spelled W O. M-Y-N. The idea being that the word looks like like a woe kind of man, that there's a man and then this other kind of human being called a woe man. And that seems inappropriate. And so, yes, of course, one might want to spell it W-O-M-Y-N to make a certain kind of a point. But, you know, the history of the word is actually different from what it happens to look like now. It started as wife man. Now, that may not sound much better, but Man, in Old English, was neutral. It just meant person. And so it was a wife person. And wife didn't refer to the spousal yet. Definitely not necessarily. And so it was a woman person. And you still know that wife meant woman because there are remnants of that meaning scattered in the language. So, for example, old wives tale. Well, Why do the women in question have to be married to believe something that isn't true? That's because when that expression was created, it meant old women or like a midwife. Is a midwife necessarily married? You think just as often she isn't. It's because it's a mid woman. And so woman starts out as weefman, which is female person. And there's a question that sometimes you might want to ask about woman. You have woman and then the plural is women. Who did that? Why is it like that? But actually, the truth is it's the other way around. It's one of those things where what you think of as the odd thing is the way it started. The word originally was, even in the singular, women, as in 
with man, with man, women, women. So you would talk about, well, now I am a grown woman. The woman for the singular, that came later because when you go wo, there's a tendency to want to pronounce the vowel afterwards with that same round balloony sound. And so woman, that only took in the singular, the plural stayed the way it was. And so there you get woman and women. So many things have a way of coming out that way. I remember my older daughter once walked in on me watching Bilko. (laughs) Walked in on me. (laughs) Makes it sound like something else. I wasn't guilty about watching Bilko, but she walked in and she asked, why are they all white? And at first I thought, am I going to have to start telling her about this? And then I realized, oh, wait a minute. Oh, she she's never seen anything in black and white. So she's wondering why it looks like this. Why are they all white? So I had to explain to her that there was a time when pretty much everything looked like that. And it was color that was weird. Woman, women is the same thing. There was a time when women was the normal thing. And then woman came along later. Now, you may be wondering, well, if man just meant person, how did they say man? It was... Kind of an ugly SOB of a word, actually. One of the words for men was guma, and that's bridegroom. And you always kind of think that the person getting married maybe is going to go out into the barn and brush the horses or something. It's because the original word was bridegroom, and goom, believe it or not, as goofy as that word sounds, it actually meant man. Old English was English, but it was so different from what we're used to that it might as well not have been English. So, Woman, not a woe kind of man, just a female sort of person. But, of course, on this episode, we're going to do more than woman. This reminds me of being about 12, and for some reason my mother took me to Saturday Night Fever. She was worried that there would be things going on that I shouldn't see, and at one point there was, and she put her hands over my eyes. To this day, I've been meaning to go back to that movie to look at that scene with the, well, I'm not going to talk about what it was. You listen to that song and the word girl, isn't it too? And so let's move on to girl. Now, here is a word where the history of charting its origins really is it's sad and it's funny in equal parts. If you look back at the sorts of etymologies that have been proposed, it's not easy. There is no obvious route that traces very easily back to Proto-Indo-European. So it is a challenge. But boy, do you... Notice certain biases in society and the sorts of things that have been guessed. And so, you know, some people have thought, well, girl goes back to a term for somebody who carries things. And then you have it might go back to a word for girdle. And it's a kind of girdle that is, quote unquote, worn by a maiden and loosed at marriage. And so a name for an entire sex is based on that (laughs) garment. Or it goes back to a word meaning garrulous because women apparently talk so much, or to weathercock, one of those things spinning around up on the roof because women are not 
to be trusted. Or my favorite one, there's this Russian guy who looked at various routes that could be taken to refer to girls or related concepts. And he had one that meant armor, one that meant to move chaotically, one that meant anger, one that meant greed, one that meant swallow, and one that meant to give birth. And he decided that if you put all these together and trace back what the original root meant, it would mean a person who swallows the penis. I am not kidding. This is real. And this isn't something that somebody came up with in 1850, you know, smoking opium or something. It wasn't something somebody came up with in, say, 1917. This is something that was published in the 90s. And so listen to the song in the background. It's about 1999. That is the date of one of the sources that has this. Can you imagine? You, know, you meet somebody and say, oh, you're you're due in a couple months. Well, you're carrying high. I guess you're going to have a penis swallower. That is something that he actually proposed. But, you know, it's not that. And actually, remember the first episode that I ever did? Me either. But it was with Anatoly Liberman. And he is a king etymologist. And he has worked out what the most likely source of girl is. And yeah, it's kind of mundane. The closest thing you can get to it is something from Low German, which is actually spoken higher than High German geographically. You know, there's a word, and that word means child, essentially. There seems to be, especially in Germanic and then even somewhat beyond, a lot of words that start with G or K, G and K are basically the same sound, and ends in er. And they refer to young animals, children, and various things past their prime, as Anatoly has put it. So there are these kurgur words. And so think even in English of something like churl. That might be one of them. Or another one that might be one of them is garçon in French. You know, take away the en and say gar, that sort of thing. That sort of thing is just splattered all over Germanic languages. And so there was some root that was something like go. And then the all is diminutive. And so that makes it something little. Think of, say, Hansel and Gretel. We're so used to those names. But Hansel means little Hans. Gretel means little Greta. And so that all. So it's like girl. But what we do know is that this girl, girl word would originally have been gender neutral. It just meant child. And so that's the case with the low German word. And even as late as Middle English, you could talk about a gay girl, and that was a female. But then you could talk about a knave girl, and a knave girl was a boy. It's hard to wrap our heads around girl meaning that. But it was interesting. It was tipping for a while. So girl meant child, and the word child sometimes could mean girl. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Think about Winter's Tale, that peculiar play. There's a line that goes by that shows you that Shakespeare spoke a very different language from ours. So, for example, the shepherd. The shepherd, at one point, is doing some of his musings. I'm going to do the shepherd, and I, I'm... 
I'm channeling Orson Welles if he had done it. So something like, uh, good luck, and be thy will. What have we here? Mercy on us, a barn, a very pretty barn. A boy or a child, I wonder. A pretty one, a very pretty one, sure. So, But wait, a boy or a child? Well, what the hell does that mean? It meant a boy or a girl. So child could mean girl. You never knew. Now, if you're waiting for somebody to say girl and mean it, as often as not, in this era, it could be wench. Wench, we now have certain associations with, but back then it just could mean girl. So even before that little part, the shepherd says, I would there were no age. I don't know why he's so out of breath, but I would there were no age between 16 and 3 and 20. Or the youth would sleep out the rest, for there's nothing in the between but getting wenches with child, wronging the ancientry, stealing, fighting. So, wenches, and we laugh now, we think, <laughs> wench, but really, he just meant girls. Wench changed. Semantic narrowing, it can be called. And so something starts as child, then it becomes a female child. That's a very normal process. Something starts as, you know, young female and becomes whatever a wench is, but you know, something narrower, but probably a servant, probably British, something like that. So it narrowed. That happens all the time with words. Bird started out most likely as a word for just baby animals, and then it came to mean flying things and not baby ones. Or hound. That's a, a weird word. I don't quite know what a hound is, but I know that the general word is dog. But that's not what the word should be. A good Germanic language has a word like hund. German has hund for dog. It should be hound in English. It should be that a chihuahua is a hound. It should be that a golden retriever is the dumbest but most adorable hound. But instead, hound has specialized to mean whatever a hound is, and dog is the general word. These things are quite normal. Same thing with child specializing to the meaning that we now associate with girl. Give Tony one minute, and she'll be on the way home, the kind of lady she is, yo. Girl of my dreams, not as bad as she seems, she won't give. Tell me that isn't a good song. That's the Spinners. And it was never a huge hit. And nobody seems to care about it now, even people who like the Spinners. But it's actually a marvelously constructed and deliciously mysterious little piece of work. Girl of my dreams, not as bad as she seems. And then, that's the kind of lady she is. That's the deep-voiced one. Remember games people play? 1245. That guy. Well, he says, that's the kind of lady she is. You know, lady, very briefly, that started out as loaf servant. It was laugh digger. So it was loaf servant. That's what lady was. And if you say laugh digger again and again and again, then it comes out as lady. Don't call me Daughter used to be pronounced differently by a great many people, differently in a way that seems quite daffy to us now, specifically dafter. You can see it in the Salem witch trials where ordinary people speaking are written down 
And what's written down is what they actually said. And you find some of the oddest things even beyond the spelling. So 1692, Mary Town has been convicted of witchcraft and she is quoted as saying, and I'm going to try to convey the funny spelling by talking wrong, but really I want to get to the daughter part. So the constable of Topsfield hath served a warrant on a me and two of my sons and two of my dafters. Now, the weird spelling makes you think that almost anything is going to come up. But even if you spell weird, what about dafter? Why would you spell daughter dafter? Where's the F? You can be quite sure that she actually said dafter. And maybe the person writing was having some putty mile strokes or something like that. But actually, it comes up again and again. And this constable himself is quoted as saying dafter. It comes up all the time. And you just find yourself thinking dafter isn't it daughter why would it be dafter but then think about laughter think about how daughter and laughter are spelled the same way very interesting and with laughter you can look at the spelling and you can imagine that it used to be something like lochter and it's still loch in varieties of scots or think about enough we're so used to that little word, but enough has that G-H at the end. Why do you pronounce it F? That's one of those words that you just have to kind of go by and you know understand that English sucks in that way. But laughter and then enough. Well, then dafter starts to seem more natural. And actually, the truth is that in English, that G-H sound often changed to F for reasons that nobody completely understands. It's just you know, some kind of alignment of the planets. It's not something you would necessarily expect, but it did happen. And it was more consistent than you think. And so, for example, have you ever read Tom Jones, the novel? Me either. I have seen the movie. Um, it's about to come out in a luscious new edition on Criterion, by the way. You should you should see it if you haven't. But no, I, I haven't read the book and I'm not going to. But I can play somebody who's read Tom Jones on TV or on a podcast. So pretending to have read it, I'm going to point out to you that the landlady character often says Thoth for though. It's the weirdest thing. So she says, I would have you to know, sir, I harbor no highwaymen here. I scorn the word Thoth, I say it. I scorn the word, though I say it. I scorn the word, though I say it. And it just kind of keeps going. It's the oddest thing. And then at another point, she says, I, I, good lack a day. Who could have thoughted it? Thought it. Think about how thought is spelled. She said thought. And this isn't a joke. This is something that was happening in largely unwritten versions of English. This r becomes a f. Now, it came to be thought of as kind of down market and so it leached its way out of the standard language and it's funny you never quite know how these things are going to go enough could go to enough or the r could just disappear as it did in thought and so actually this same landlady says i scorn the word off i say it none but honest good gentlefolks are welcome to my house and i thank good luck i have always had a now of such customers a now is how she said it instead of enough. And, you know, if we're talking about Tom Jones, then certainly we have to have a clip and I'm not going to play anything from the movie. Instead, what about Tom Jones, the Welsh singer? And, you know, one of his best, best songs is It's Not Unusual. Let's hear a little of this. It's not unusual to be loved by anyone. It's not unusual to have fun with anyone. 
Now, I know that the song now has associations with, well, frankly, Tom Jones and, you know, underwear and things like that. But really, that's a very special song. I think it's not unusual to be loved by anyone. It's not unusual to have fun with anyone. But when I see you hanging about with anyone, it's not unusual to see me cry. I want to die. That's good. Who would write a song of a man saying that? And who would write it in a way that it would become a hit? I've always loved that song. In any case, daughter should be dafter. That's where the language was going, and it got held back. You see interesting things like Anne Bradstreet's poem, The Four Monarchies. I frankly have never found it very interesting in itself, but here we are in the 1600s, and you get something like, but for the last he made such preparation as if to dust he meant to grind that nation. So it it rhymes, but here's what's next. Yet all his men and instruments of slaughter produced but derision and lauder. No, likely it was yet all his men and instruments of slaughter produced but derision and laughter. But we now keep it back at slaughter instead. By the way, with Tom Jones, wonderful book. Everybody should read it. There's a little bit more that it can teach us with Squire Allworthy, who at one point is quoted saying something that gives us a little hint. It's kind of like in some herbivorous dinosaur skeleton's tails, you see bite marks. And so you can tell that a Tyrannosaurus chased them and bit the tail. You get that little clip in the life. Here's something that Squire Allworthy says. He's from the Southwest, so he has some features of the dialect there. And listen to what one of them was. But I see you were busy with the lady here, so I will go home and expect you and so your humble servant. I will go home, H-U-O-M-E. Who cares? Well, think about last week. And so the word should be own, and instead it's one. Well, that shows you that now and then you have these woos popping up before o's. It happens. It's not regular. It is common in some dialects, mostly disappeared in Britain. And this is an example. So I will go Whom? If somebody could walk around saying whom, we have a little bit more of a sense of why somebody would start saying one instead of own. You just heard it here from somebody who's pretending to have read rather than watched Tom Jones. Here's one more word for women. Aunt. Yes, aunt, not aunt. We'll get to that. Aunt. For one thing, it's a borrowing, although we're not going to give it back. It's a borrowing from French. Old English had these ugly little words for aunt. You had one for your father's sister and a different one for your mother's sister, as languages tend to. So one of them was a fadu and the other one was a modria. The old English was fadu, modria. Those were the words for aunt. But after the Norman conquest, we borrowed so very many words from French. And that tended to be family members outside of the very tight circle. So you have mother, father, brother, sister. But then you have aunt, which is from French's tante. And then you have uncle, cousin, nephew, niece. Those are French words. And so French really did permeate the language. It tended to replace the more formal or the less intimate sorts of things. And so, for example, the famous case of how you ride a pig. I imagine people do. They're bigger than cartoon pigs. You ride a pig, but then you eat pork or you kind of stay away from a cow. They've always made me very uncomfortable, but you eat beef and so on. And so beef and pork are French words. Pig and cow are good you know, English words. And so you had aunt. You know, there was a time when I almost broke down and cried at a Nordstrom's. 
It was when over the PA system, when they were piping in music, one of the songs was a song by Wings called Let Em In, which I remembered from when I was seven years old and hadn't heard in 30 years. And it's just about your family and friends coming into your house. It's this wonderful, relaxed song that I had always loved. And going to talk about aunts and uncles. Well, here's a little bit of Let Em In because the song should just be broadcast. So this is Wings, not the horrible Cheers knockoff TV show, but Wings, the group. Sister Susie, Brother John, Martin Luther, Isn't that cute? I recommend it. The song runs like 45 minutes. Literally, it's about a five-minute song, and very little happens. It's just simplicity. In any case, notice aunt. It didn't come from tante, actually, that we're used to. It came from aunt. That's what the word was in French. So why did it become tante? What's the t? Was that just an accident? No, it was actually something very interesting. It came from ta aunt, your aunt. And you say that so much, or you might say your aunt so much. How often do you walk around just saying aunt? It's going to be your aunt. Charlotte is off harvesting scallions or whatever the person would be doing. And so if you say that enough, then you get taunt. That's something that has happened in English as well. So, for example, why is Ned the nickname for Edward? Where'd the N come from? Why is Nellie the nickname for Ellen? Why has Nan been a nickname for Anne? It's because when my was still mine or mean in earlier English, people so often said mean Edward. Once the word changes to my, then you start hearing mine Ed as my Ned. You start hearing mine Ellie as my Nellie. And it's kind of hard for us to imagine saying my that much, at least we Americans. But you know what? You can hear the model for this on, once again, I have to play a clip from Keeping Up Appearances, which is a Britcom. And something they do that I've always found very charming is that they're always putting possessives before names. I was just wondering, oh, since if you were thinking of visiting father in the very near future... Honestly, the problems we have with your father. It's about time your hyacinth had him under their roof. We'll have to tell our hyacinth. They do that all the time, and that's what these my Ned, my Nellies would have come from. And so that's why it's taunt in French now. Now, I know what you're, you're waiting for, aunt and aunt. Well, you know, it's just, I can't make anything out of it. Basically, the people who say ant are mostly concentrated in the Northeast. It concentrates a little more in New England, but there's lots of variation. It's a, it's a highly inconsistent little marker. Black people, no matter where they're from, tend to say aunt. There you go. There's no story. There's no song I could play about it. I don't know. I like aunt myself. I, I didn't have an aunt, Glenda, but I know that I'm outnumbered. And there you go. Letters, letters. I get letters. A couple of things I wanted to touch upon. Were English numbers of base 12 
in the old days. And a lot of people asked about that. And so I should clarify that no, English's number system was not itself based on 12. That has never been the case. More precisely, there is evidence that Germanic, so this goes way before English, that Germanic in general was influenced by the duodecimal, specifically in terms of measuring as opposed to counting, which isn't exactly the same thing. And so, for example, 12 inches in a foot and the other things that I mentioned last time. So, no, Old English people were not walking around being base 12 people. There's a duodecimal influence, especially on measuring in particular. Also, a lot of you wrote me about the whole fellow fella issue, and I learned... A great deal. I agree with some of you. I disagree with some of you. But one person who gave a nice example of what I was talking about is someone whose name I'm almost certainly going to mispronounce, Diana Lavery or Lavery. I'll bet it's Lavery. And, you know, I'll bet I'm wrong. Anyway, thank you, Diana Lavery, for reminding me of Bust a Move, young MC. And notice that. First, there's the fellas rhyme. And so fellas, ladies tell us. This here's a champ for all the fellas. Try to do what those ladies tell us. Get shot down because you're overzealous. Play hard to get females, get jealous. Okay, but then later, there's a, in itself a very cute rhyme of hello and fellow. Great rhyme, great lyric. But notice that fellow isn't really colloquial. The, the person in this song would not say fellow. That's because the word is fella that was the kind of point that i was trying to make and it also allows us to hear that wonderful song ah she's dressed in yellow she says hello come sit next to me you fine fellow you run over there without a second to lose and what comes next hey bust a move i know what some of you are thinking in terms of the clips you're thinking, well, where's, the... yeah, I know. And it was deliberate this time because I quite willfully went overboard on the Broadway last time to the point that, you know, some people seem to think that I'm trying to turn this into a Broadway podcast. So this time I wanted to show that I do listen to other kinds of music, but it is at the point where I feel funny not having anything from the New York stage. And so why don't we go out on Who's That Woman, because it's about terms for women, from Stephen Sondheim's Follies, 1971. I thought about using the original Broadway cast album, but it sounds like it was recorded in the basement of an aquarium, and we can't have that. So let's use the epicenter of the recorded canon of Follies, the 1987 concert album. And here we go with Who's That Woman. Hit it, baby! that woman i know her well all decked out head to toe she lives life like a carousel bow after bow after bow nightly daily always laughing gaily so show music listeners. I'm still here. <laughs> Get it? And you can reach us at lexiconvalley at slate.com. That's lexiconvalley at slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out, go to slate.com slash lexiconvalley. Mike Volo was the editor of this show 
And as far as I know, I remain John McWhorter. Hey, have you checked out Slate's Represent? If not, you should. Every week, smart and creative people join Slate culture writer Aisha Harris to discuss the latest film, TV shows, and happenings in Hollywood. You'll find thoughtful conversations on race, gender, sexuality, and more with critics and thinkers like Slate's own Jamel Bowie and Turner Classic Movies host Tiffany Vasquez. Aisha also talks to the filmmakers and actors, including Oscar winner Barry Jenkins, the acting legend Rita Moreno, and Master of None co-creator Alan Yang. You'll find a new episode of Represent every Friday morning.